0: Sides to every coin Then there's a conversation you can join But I'm an old dog and there's new tricks And some of my opinions you just can't fix Cause I'm an old man yelling at the sky I'ma shake my feet alone alone, you snowflake, before I...
1: I'm going to say hi. I think we've started. I don't hear a theme. How are you? I am good. Glad you could join us. Just a game. I'm Rob Kerr. You know who you are. Um, bit of a different venue, bit of a different sound, I would suspect, for you today. Um, very pleased you could spend some time with us. Um, we are not We are not live in the Oodle Noodle studio. Uh, that is normally where you find us. And since I brought it up, I may as well let you know, since opening their first store back in 2005, Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations in Calgary and area, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North and Airdrie pickup and delivery. Now, what's neat about today, what's kind of nice about today for me is that uh, we make, you know, every, every show we acknowledge the fact that we're doing the show from Treaty 7 Territory. Today it's a little different. We're actually at one of the seven treaty nations. We're, in, uh, we're out in Siksika. Uh, full disclosure, uh, one of the uh, groups that I work with, and I mentioned this before, is the Calgary Surge, working on their community programming. Um, I have a long relationship with Siksika Health, dating back to uh, my time with CSEC and the Calgary Hitman. Um, and I do a little bit of work for the First Nations Health Consortium as well. So there's lots of reasons for me to be out here. One of them is also to do this show. Uh, coming up a little later on is Eric DeHatchuk from the Athletic. Uh, gosh, golly, I wonder what we can talk to Eric about. Uh, there's a few things we can talk to Eric about. Obviously, we'll go back to Monday's announcement uh, that Daryl Sutter no longer with the team. Uh, we'll look at, uh, and really, it's it's the same thing as when we had Peter on on Wednesday. Uh, we had Peter Maher Peter on and, you know, we we had missed the the arena and we, you know, just missed the, the Daryl Sutter. So lots to talk about with Eric as well as the playoffs. And we will get into the playoffs in just a couple of minutes. The Stanley Cup playoffs continue round two. Um, quite a bit of news. Uh, nothing earth shattering, but quite a bit of news around hockey. Um, so we'll do that. Um, can tell you that the reason I am out in Gleesha and out at Siksika today is uh, they've relaunched the 36th annual uh, Blackfoot Invitational. So it's an indigenous basketball tournament, which was a natural for this surge to come out and be part of. If you're going to call yourself the home team, then you got to go to everybody's homes. So we were out, uh, we are out here today. Um, and it's great. It's exciting. It's, it's a fresh new um, venture. Um, you know, my, <laughs> I love sport and I love minor pro or junior, whatever we're going to call it a little bit more, because I think it's challenging. I think it's uh, a fresh, you know, a fresh canvas Um, excited about the things that we are going to um, do uh, in the community with, for basketball. And and this is part of it. So uh, we're hopefully to tell a little bit of that today. Um, A couple other things. Uh, Well, I should mention uh, today, May 5th is, Red Dress Day. So it's uh, official recognition and remembrance of Indigenous uh, women who have are gone missing or have been murdered. Uh, so it's a very, uh, very um, important day. Um, and it's it we celebrated here as part of the basketball tournament, which again, right into my wheelhouse social issues and sport. Um, we're also on the cusp of some really devastating news when it comes to the op- opioid crisis uh, and the blood tribe is, is in a real situation right now and they've taken some extreme measures. Uh, it's a crisis. And I think all the other Treaty seven nations in the province have acknowledged it. Uh, but o- opioids and opioid overdose continue to be an issue. Um, and as you look at the long-term play on this again, What does that have to do with sport? Sport's the avenue that, you know, we've often talked about it. It keeps kids active. It keeps them off the streets. It keeps them away. Now, that's, you know, it's sometimes it's flowery and sometimes it's aspirational. uh, But in many cases, and particularly in in indigenous communities, sport has been the path forward. Sport has been the mechanism in which the communities heal and, and find ways to move past these problems. And there are problems, too. Um, and then we have the same problems in the city, um, working with a group in the northeast uh, with new Canadians, Syrian, South Sudanese, uh, you know, Ukraine, uh, Afghanistan. Um, there's all kinds of people that will prey on on teenagers and, and the youth if they're just around with nothing to do. And that's, again, the power of sport. That's where sport comes in. Sport is such an important um vehicle for mental health it's for leadership it's to learn how to be part of a team um you know and again we talk about this all the time and and we'll probably talk a little bit more of it as the hour goes on but a lot of things happening out here today that kind to of connect at the uh you know at sport and so i'm really proud to be here really proud to be uh representing the calgary surge out here um yeah and we'll we'll have some basketball coverage for you as, as the surge season comes on and, and gets going. Um, Yeah, it's exciting. All right, let's take a look at the Stanley Cup playoffs, shall we? Uh, Overall, as we we take a look, uh, we are a couple games in in most series or one game in the rest of the series. Um, Edmonton and Vegas are off until tomorrow. Uh, This one's a a somewhat controversial in the sense that they moved that game. Why did they move that game? Ah, because of television, folks. We, uh, we are slaves to our uh, video masters on so many cases. Uh, it was always a little frustrating for me on the radio side because everybody blamed the media. Nope, this is a television issue. And uh, the folks at Rogers didn't want to have a Saturday night without, uh, you know, without some sort of hockey broadcast. Um, so they moved the Vegas Knights and, and uh, Edmonton to that day. Um Feel a bit for a couple hundred Oiler fans or 1,000 Oiler fans that flew down to Vegas and had tickets for one and maybe had to go back. But overall, the rest of us, I guess, are going to watch hockey on Saturday night. You look at that graphic as we put it back up. Um, Dallas evening their series last night. We'll get to that in a second with Seattle. That now a game apiece heading back to Seattle. But the old adage holds true, right? You want to get the split on the road and revert home, home ice back uh, to your own building. And that's exactly what uh, this series is at Yanni Gordy uh, continues his strong spring. He continues to be a, a leader in that dressing room uh, for the crack. And again, he's done it before. Um, all of those players, uh, Borgstrand and Wenberg are kind of interesting in the sense that they've been cast off. But how about Philip Grubauer, who's having a really good playoff on the other side? Uh, Rupe Hints has kind of cooled off a little bit. Most of his points came in that uh, series against uh, the Minnesota Wild to open up. Um, the guy you see right down there at the bottom is Joe Pavelski. How about Jumping Joe? He had the four goals in the game one loss in overtime, and then he picked up another goal last night, so he's got five goals since coming back from injury. Jake Ottinger's the guy to keep your eye on. As far as I'm concerned, um, maybe the best of the goalies left on the west side. Uh, maybe the best goalie left in the whole thing. Uh, I, I would suggest to you that uh, Bobrovsky and, and some other people will have some some things to say about that. Uh, but right now, Jake Ottinger, who I thought was really off his game in game one, uh, much better last night. Uh, much more complete effort by Dallas, as you would suspect. But heading back to Seattle, tied at a game apiece. The other game last night and the other series that's going on, how about this? Um, boy, it, it, you sure got a lot, and I was guilty of it too. Uh, man, you know, first time since 89, we could have an all-Canadian Stanley Cup final because, of course, uh, we all anointed the Maple Leafs after they slayed the Dragon. They beat Tampa Bay in the first round in six games. Now they get to play the little brothers from further south in the, uh, in the uh, Florida panhandle, and it's Miami. It's the, the Panthers who went to seven games, went to overtime, how about this? They now have a two games to none lead on the Maple Leafs. A three two win last night. Uh, Matt Kachuk continues to. Uh, I'm assuming, uh, and I've always hated this game because it never really plays itself out this way. But if you had to award the con Smythe today, would I think Kachuk, Drysaitel would probably be your finalist. Um, you don't do that. You do it at the end of the at the end of the playoffs. But Matthew Kachuk. 15 points he and Sam Bennett and uh that line is just Van Haraway Hagey I should say not Haraway Van Hagey um they've been good and the guy that's kind of and he's got nine points so how can he be quiet he's tied for second in the team and scoring is kind of quiet but Alexander Barkov uh He's going to wake up at some point here. Maple Leafs, uh, while well, they soil their own bed at home, and that's never a good situation. Having said that, uh, they'll travel well. They'll go down to to Florida. Um, you know, there's a lot to do if you're in Miami right now because you got the Heat playing and you got the Panthers playing. Mitch Marner uh, up for the Selkie. Um, he's leading this team in scoring. Austin Matthews, not surprising up there. Morgan Riley. And, and I, I'm not going to take any runs at the Maple Leafs. Uh, they were good in the first round against Tampa. I think most of us would agree. Tampa carried the play in a lot of those games, but they carried the play in a lot of those games because, quite honestly, they were trailing. So you're hunting and pecking and trying to get back up. One thing that I would just go back to that series is talk about Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, Here is a bit of an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Uh, You look at his work in the postseason so far, and he's getting better. Alex Lyons started. He was the great story down the stretch. The American Hockey League goalie, I think he won a championship last year with Chicago, uh, took over the net. Uh, You know, Bobrovsky has the big $10 million contract and, you know, it's kind of been a bust. Well, you know, he's really gotten himself on a roll, especially in this series. His numbers are impeccable. Yeah, he's a little bit older and, and you know, for all intents and purposes, um, he's a bit of a work <laughs> and I, I get coming back to that word enigma. And I think, you know, when you talk about Sergei Bobrovsky, you talk about an enigma. Um, this is the same club that uh, signed Spencer Knight to a big contract right away coming out of his rookie deal. Um, you usually don't spend that much money on goaltending, but clearly uh, somebody in the organization didn't have the faith, didn't have the trust in Bobrovsky. But they put him back in, took him a while to get his feet under him in that, in that Boston series. The numbers were okay. But now against Toronto, road evidence that
2: a uh, good goal does at this time, I mean, it was. To me, you guys,
1: interesting. They have you look man. Kachuk out
2: in that, that role. The, the Panthers.
1: But what's in is the much of the me. He said, you know, who's Kachuk now? So much has happened for that Florida team that the Bennett's, the Barkov's, the Montours all believe they can do it. The Bobrovskis all believe they can do it. That that team baptized by fire in the first round against uh, against a very good Boston team. We know the we know the the skinny on the Boston Bruins, and we know what they are—a record-setting regular season team who, who flat out just dropped the ball in the postseason. But part of that, and I, you know, Kachuk said it game seven when he was doing the off ice hit. Um, you know, for the whole world, it's a huge upset, except for everybody in their dressing room. And I, it it sounds like words. It sounds, um, it, you know, it, it it sounds trite, perhaps, but it's true. Uh, and I and I, you know, it's funny. We had Peter Mar on the what was it, the 19th anniversary of the Game Six overtime win against Detroit, and that was the triple yeah baby. And if you go back to the old four, which you know a lot of people don't want to do anymore and I I respect that I get that but just talking about these underdog teams th- there's usually a, a tipping point and and that at that tipping point they begin to go from great story to actually believers in their own story and I think game 7 in overtime beating the Vancouver Canucks the Flames became believers in their story then Mika Kippersoff just one, one for the ages. I mean, the series against Detroit was three shutouts, was just incredible. Um, and, you know, you get those kind of Herculean events, but you look at that team and, and how, you know, uh, thin they were in comparison to other teams in terms of talent. Um, there's a typical you believe in. Right now, the Florida Panthers believe um, it looks like it looks like it's going to be Carolina and Florida. And that they're good rivals. That There's lots of rivalry there. We shouldn't forget that, too. Um, we may as well talk about Carolina and, and New Jersey. Um, I am a little hesitant to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this case. Uh, the Hurricanes up one game to none. Um, they play tonight. It was a whooping. And it wasn't even a close whooping in game one. I get the sense... And, they're, you know, look at the numbers in, you know, in Carolina. Carolina's not going to, you know, they can score goals. Don't get me wrong. They're talented, but they're not going to blow your doors off. Uh, they got two goalies that will go for them right now. Freddie Anderson is healthy, and he's playing again. You look at his numbers. Uh, but Auntie Ranta can go in there. Uh, the story for the Devils was goaltending. Uh, Kira Schmid uh, getting into the series, the American Hockey League goalie, in game three and and eventually leading the Devils to the uh, to the second round. He was very good at times. And, and and lost game six against the Rangers, so he's bounced back. It's it's not like the bubbles burst. It's not like, well, once through the league for Schmied, so now what do we do? Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, but I do think, I do think, looking at New Jersey, it's a fool's errand, right? All this time, no, no. The one against the Rangers... Cause it's funny. Cause it's Eric De hatchet coming on when Eric was last on this program two weeks ago, two weeks ago, we were talking about the Rangers being up two games to nothing on New Jersey and how it looked like the typical back in the playoffs team that had to learn to lose. And that was New Jersey and the Rangers had loaded up and they have the goaltending and it no problem. Don't worry about it guys. Like, it's okay. New Jersey will pat you on the head and, and, you know, give you a big thumbs up and a gold star and next year we'll expect something from you. Right. It, it's dismissive. It's really what it was. It was dismissive of the devils while well, they roar back. Thanks to Schmid and, and Hughes and Dougie Hamilton. And, and, you know, so it'd be a bit of a fool's errand for me to sit here and go, Ooh, Carolina. I, I just don't see, I just don't see the Jersey devils coming back but I don't think we're talking enough about Carolina. I don't think we're talking enough about Rod Brindamore. I don't think we're talking enough about how good that team is. Um, they're not sexy. We don't see them a lot. Um, they are without a mega star, probably without a superstar. Oh, you know, uh, the, the, um, their defense, the, you know, they've, they've got some really good, def- but you know, every year they lose somebody. They let somebody go. They, you know, they trade away Elias Lindholm. They trade away Noah Hannafin, You know, parts are going out. They're they're not a particularly um, great team. Uh, it, it, how do I put it? I'm not mixing my words. I just don't know about Tom Dunin as an owner. Very upfront. Very non-conformative. My belief is that Donny Waddell, who's the general manager of that team, might be making less than some assistant general managers in the league uh, you know Dundon has said in the past that he doesn't believe in the the you know the the amount of money that's paid in salaries and things like that for staff all those sort of things so i it 's a hard place it 's not a well staffed place um, you know i I know of uh prospects who have gone in the past not recently but you know four or five years ago. Uh, went down for train for rookie camps and things like that and sent home to get some sticks and stuff like that. that that's what you hear. Uh, that's the reputation, if you will, on the street, but man, this team wins like they win. They've been good for a couple of years. Rod Brindamore is a guy that players love playing for. Um, I thought it was, I, I thought it was a really interesting stat and and one that I really want to follow up on at some point. How many guys, lead their franchise uh, in games played in the playoffs and games coached in the playoffs. That would be a very short list, Uh, but he's that guy, uh, Rod Brindamore. And, and if you've ever had a chance, I know that uh, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman on 32 thoughts, their podcast, they tend to have him on a lot as a guest. I just you know, again don't want to get too far ahead of myself I just don't see them faltering um I don't they have no baggage they really have no baggage what's the baggage that Carolina see the the Maple Leafs carry baggage right like the the you know that they couldn't get out of the first round they get out of the first round they were what 0 and 11 and game uh game deciding uh In in series deciding games until they won in Game Six against Tampa Bay. Now they're down two games to none to to uh, to Florida, and everybody's off that bandwagon. They've got no baggage. Um, You know, the the Devils—they're you know, yeah, they got by the Rangers, but now the Rangers might be going through it, possibly going through a coaching change, possibly losing all a whole bunch of player. You know, Kane, Tarasenko—are those guys going back there? Uh, You know, other teams, but. Carolina, what baggage does Carolina carry? I just, I don't see it. It's not house money. Like it would be, I think it's a little disrespectful to say that the Carolina Hurricanes are playing with house money. But they, you know, well, and and it's about, it's about this time, isn't it? And there was a couple of years in a row where all of a sudden they show up out of nowhere, make it to a Stanley Cup final, win one in 06, right? Um, and just a little bit about Vegas and the Oilers, uh, Vegas got the first game. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl had a big game. Uh, boy, oh boy, that, you know, we're so, we're gluttons for history, aren't we? Like every time we see something awesome or fun or whatever, we always look for a comparable. And, You know, I think there was a little bit of that with the Oilers, with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Is it Gretzky and Messier? Is it Jordan and Pippen? Is it, is it, is it? Um, I'm not 100% sure that if Dreisaitl was playing in the East, that the whole narrative in the NHL wouldn't be Dreisaitl, McDavid, like it was Ovechkin-Crosby. Like, dude is a, he's a phenom, like, he is the Wayne Gretzky of Germany. They're, they're the, that. There's no doubt. I know there's a lot of speculation in Supruder film about the injury or the banged up nature of uh, one Connor McDavid, um, but I would I would suggest to you that um, that Leon Dreisaitl, again. You know, I could I could talk myself into giving him the consmite right now, but they have to play the rest of the games. Uh, he's been amazing. Um, The Oilers are getting some good production from, you know, young defensemen and, you know, Skinner's now a a Calder Trophy candidate. Um, There's a lot to like if you're an Oiler fan. But since this isn't Oilers Nation, this is the Nation Network and probably a little closer aligned to the Flames Nation, there's a lot I don't like, right? I don't need them to be good for the next five years. But they sure look like they're set up for it. Uh Vegas. Ah, do you guys remember that Laurent Brosois was a Flames draft pick? You remember that? He was a Flames draft pick. I believe went to Edmonton as part of the Ladislav Schmid trade. I believe. Uh that's with nothing open, uh, no googling. That's just off my rusty old head. Um Former Edmonton Oil King goaltender has bounced around, has been good enough, good enough to back up, good enough to play 20 or 30, but never good enough to take the number one spot. And mostly by injury and 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 mostly the fact that Robin Lehner's hurt. Remember Robin Lehner? He was supposed to be the guy. Like, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury had the 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 Vesna trophy season. They traded him because they had Robin Lehner. And uh, I wondered if during the uh you remember when we played hockey in Edmonton and Toronto in the summer? Oh. I was 20, 20 or 21, 20, 20. Uh, and free agency class was coming. I always thought Robin Laner was a goalie that the Flames were going to look at uh, as a possible free agent. Markstrom, who was in Vancouver, I just did, didn't make, you know, I wasn't looking at that, but the, clearly that's where they went. Um, but the fact that Laurent Brossois is maybe the, is he, I mean, Schmied, yes, because he's American hockey league, but Brossois is probably one of the most unheralded goaltenders. He beat the guy that was the starter when he was in Winnipeg. He, you know, he he bested Connor Hellebuck in the Winnipeg jets. He's been good in this series. Jack Eichel's finally playing meaningful playoff games, stones back. There's a lot about this, um, kooky vegas team like right from the get-go you know they, they had the leg up on people that the different trading things and all of those sort of things it, it was it's kooky right kooky um and yet and they move heaven and earth for everybody and everything they get jack eichel flames were in on jack eichel they get jack eichel um you know they, they seemingly spend money that they shouldn't have and they find a way to do it usually through ltir and and that sort of thing. But they've also gone through their fair share of coaches. They've gone through a general manager already. Um Bill Foley, the, the owner in Vegas, you know, we talk about Murray Edwards here in Calgary. You can, again, another owner with very specific desires, needs, and demands on his hockey club. And, you know, the Calgary or pardon me, the, the Vegas Golden Knights, here they are again. um A, you got to be spoiled to be a golden Knights fan. Don't you? I mean, like if you, you're you a day one golden Knights fan, you're not even 10 years old yet or 10, you haven't even been doing it for 10 years. Uh, I fully, by the way, I guess I drifted off from the game, uh, Vegas leading when they're playing tomorrow. I was, that's where I was lamenting about television or television overlords. Um, I did, did think that Edmonton was going to take game one, especially when you get four goals out of dry subtle. Um, I am more comfortable with the Oilers scoring in bunches than any other team right now. Uh, I think Vegas can score in bunches. Dallas scores in bunches. Seattle scores in bunches. But I go all the way back to that game in, in L.A. or against L.A. anyway. Down 3-0. It was in L.A. Down 3 nothing in the first period. Did nothing. Did jack squat and still found a way to win. The Oilers did that to to L.A. A bunch of times they believe it. It's back to that whole concept of believing, right? It's a tipping point, and the tipping point for the Edmonton Oilers was that that game against L.A. And they're not they're not going to be out of any game. I, I Vegas has got to smother Edmonton at some point. Like if if you got to figure you can't exchange four goals would we'll dry because McDavid could very easily come out and get four goals. Uh, Hyman can get you three. Uh, there's lots of talent there. Uh, that game's going to go on Saturday night in Vegas. Ooh. I wonder if anybody will uh, indulge in a drink or two. Uh, possibly. Very, very possible. Uh, by the way, guests of this very program uh, appear, courtesy of our friends, uh, at snow, Ski Cellar Snowboard. Skisellersnowboard.com. Uh It is a bazillion degrees outside. <laughs> it's not. It's 21 degrees. <clears throat> and you're probably not thinking about skiing or snowboarding right now. But maybe you should. Uh, It's going to come back around in the fall. There's some great deals to be had on warm winter weather uh, clothing for winter weather. Um, You know, why not get it now and have it ready for the fall? Uh, Three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off of 14th Street, Bull Ridge Road Northwest uh, by McDonald's uh, across from Winsport. Uh, One local game, well, a couple of local games, but one local game we are keeping our eye on tonight. The uh, uh, Calgary Wranglers are in Abbotsford. Former home of the Heat, by the way, uh, taking on the Abbotsford Canucks, who staved off elimination with a 3-2 win on Wednesday night. So that best of five now in favor of the Wranglers by a 2-1 margin. Curious about Mitch Love's team. Um, Very little adversity this year uh, because they were that good. Um, You know, would lose a couple every once in a while, but, you know, would get right back and, and just rip off a bunch of wins. Um there's a lot of games between these two teams in the last month. There's been a lot of hockey played at the end of the year in this, in this series, we know it's already been a chop, a chippy. Some might say dirty series. These two teams don't like each other. These two organizations don't like each other. Uh, you know, again, Credit to the uh, credit to the Canucks. They they fought back and you know gave up the lead and early and then fought back and had a three one lead and Cal- uh, Calgary cut back into it but couldn't come all the way back. Um, you know again it's that overreaction underreaction. You want to find that middle ground. Uh, I'm not sure that um, that you have to worry about the Wranglers, but oh boy, you know you get blown out tonight or or you lose in overtime tonight and there's a game five. The crazy, wacky world of the American Hockey League shines its light on you, right? Like it shines a bright light on you uh, as now Game 5 is in Abbotsford. Traditional 2-2-1, two, two, and one, come back home, playing in front of your home fans, big crowd. Uh, I suppose it'll be a big crowd in Abbotsford. Uh, I'm guessing they're drawing better than the Heat did. Uh, that's just a, a guess. Uh, again, um, it would be like in many ways having the Vancouver Canucks uh, affiliate play out of the dome and having an American hockey league team in Calgary that belonged to Vancouver, that never made much sense and to the people who did it made all the sense in the world, but here we are. The American hockey league playoffs are a uh, thing. Uh, I would encourage you, to uh check out the competition uh, the game is being uh broadcast live on the radio tonight also streamed on ahl tv and one of my dear favorites one of my dear friends and and who i think is an absolute superstar sandra persina who has uh, done an amazing job year one as the voice of the wranglers uh, will have all of the action for you in that <sighs> speaking of the local hockey heroes uh we had peter marron on wednesday um Interesting for me, it's been a while, uh, five or six years, quite honestly, uh, since I found myself uh, thrust into the maw, the gaping maw of social media. Uh, Peter was responding to a article that was written by uh, Rick Bell uh, from the Calgary Sun, who friend of the program. We've had him on the show before talking about arena stuff. Well, not this show, but the other show. We've had him on a show. Anyway, Rick uh, wrote a a column, opinion column, uh, which he has every right to do. Uh, I I found a anyway. I'll get to the gaping maw part in a second. Uh, But anywho, um, Pete responded to that and and uh, we shared it as a social media clip and got a lot of uh, feedback. And again, I've been kind of out of the game for a while. Um, I've forgotten a little bit about what social media is and and what it does. And, and uh, again, not worried about anything that was said. It was all, Hey, everybody's got an opinion, but it it is, it it did open up a wound. uh, I thought, Um, you know, Rick's column was about, you know, I believe he referenced the the players that were complaining about Daryl Sutter as snowflakes. Um, So that was a bit of an issue. Um, And I, I know Pete, I think Pete's point in all of this was, you know, maybe didn't like the wording, but, you know, the players do have a responsibility in this. Yes, the coach is gone. Um, I I do find it a little bit comical. Um, I guess I'm taking a run. It's not my intention to take a run. But there was a lot of reporting after that that, oof, hold on now. Some of the Flames players that uh, asked for trades have rescinded those things. I I think there's a lot of blowing in the wind. And I think, you know, not that I don't trust sources, but okay. Um, This one was really, I think, a little bit more complicated than people. like. Social media is really good at trying to um, bring things down to a base level, right? The one thing that social media, and I don't care what the format is, even the clips that we put out, we put out a two-minute clip on Twitter. I find, and it's, please, because the guys that run this show are, are the guys that do it. And I don't want them to hear this and go, oh, Rob doesn't like our work. That That's not my point here. My point is even two minutes sometimes isn't enough context. And certainly 248 words, or if, you know, if you buy Elon's package and you get the 4,000 words, sometimes that's not enough. But there's a little bit of context that's needed to this story. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of people are very angry on both sides. Both sides. And then my friend who, my and I I, I forgot, I think he's old bald guy or bald something, something, something. He's just really mad at me all the time because um, I bring up Matthew Kachuk and the the what ifs. And so I apologize. I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop. I can't help myself. So I'm afraid you're going to have to put up with it. Uh, But I did find the the, the whole conversation to be very base. Uh, I don't like him. I like him. You know, there was a lot of the – You kids, you know, don't know how it is, you know, you, you, you know, you you want it. So we, I'm 53. Okay. I grew up in a house in which I was often reminded about how hard my dad's life was and how easy I had it. Or my mom, you know, the old 13 miles to school, you know, uphill and 14 miles home uphill sort of thing, right? Um, That's a generational thing. And especially my time, almost 30 years now in sports, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard, "Wow, well, the younger generation, the younger, it's like leaves. You, you see the leaves? The leaves are green now, right? They're all coming out. We're going to have leaves here, right? I got news for you. They're going to die in the fall and fall off. And I get the sense that society, and especially in sports, once we get to an older age, we always look down our nose and go, you, it's soft. It's this, It's that. I'm not professing for a second uh, to know exactly what was going on behind the scenes for the local hockey heroes this year, but I do respect some of the people that have been saying that, yes, there was a disconnect. Uh, Yes. I think it was very obvious that the coach and the general manager were not on the same page, but maybe the story that's kind of been um, glossed over a bit, is that the bigger story might have been the division in the players, the pro Daryl anti Daryl, or however pro coach, anti coach, or, you know, snowflakes versus what's the opposite of a snowflake, a rock. I don't know. Um, But I don't think we're seeing enough nuance and context into this conversation. It's very much become, and, and Rhett Warner said this, we, we we did barn burner with Rhett a week ago, and we were talking about this Daryl Sutter became Daryl Sutter became the, the go-to with any problem. Well, if there's a problem on the team. It's Daryl Sutter. Right? Tree Living's not here anymore. It's Daryl Sutter. I I just don't think that's correct. I think it's part of it. I think you look at your own life. I look at my own life. Um, the the tipping point times we keep using that word, those times that you know you want to um make a change. Uh, It's usually not one thing. So anyway, I I just, it's been a while. So I kind of forgot how angry people get. Um, I'm assuming it's not at me. They just start yelling, but I'm assuming it's not at me. Uh, But it was interesting. It was really, really interesting that, uh, and, and I've often said this. I know as a broadcaster, I know as an opinion maker, I know as somebody who's in the public eye, that I'm almost on the X, right? I'm almost exactly where I need to be. I am almost in the the you know the zone of being absolutely correct if I get the exact same number of hate and praise. And I ignore both because both won't help you. But, and I've always, I, I just, to me, I learned that lesson when Ole Okenen got reacquired by Calgary when they acquired him or uh, signed him as a free agent after they traded him and he came back in free agency. And I just remember going home that night. And it was less, it was not, wasn't my social media then. It was mostly emails and the, you know, the station put your email address on the website. So people sent you manifestos and you know lots of opinions and no shortage of opinions. And by the way, hi to Matt on the Hound, who I ran into last night, long time emailer. Um, but that was the day that you know, I went home, and you know, y- 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 you suckle at the teat of the Calgary Flames. You're just doing their business, and you know, y- y- you know, whatever. You're a homer. And then on the other side, it was, well, you don't know anything about hockey. He's good, and and Daryl Sutter, I trust. And it was just one after another after another that were easily sorted into two columns. So you know, you're on the X. And I'm seeing a little bit of that here that, you know, it's <laughs> I laughed out loud, actually. Well, somebody sent me, well, his last coaching decision was Nick Ritchie in the shootout. That's all you need to know. Well, I think you need to know a little bit more than that, but I get the point. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, your faithful, humble servant uh, was humbled yet again by social media, so thank you for that. Uh, Eric DeHatchek will join us at the top of the hour. Mentioned I am out at uh, Sixica Nation, uh, working with the Calgary Surge on some community projects, working um, with Siksika Health and the First Nations Health Consortium on some community projects. And um, it was really great to come out here. Um, a reminder again of the world we're living in right now, uh, that everything isn't equal. Everything, Everybody's not starting from the same place. Um, we continue to make strides. Um, you're reminded again by a visit like this about the intersection of mental health, the intersection of society and the intersection of sport. Um it, it, sport is such a through uh you know through point. Um, you know, for for many of us, it's a second thought. Like, of course my kids play. Oh, they play summer hockey and they play spring hockey and they play winter hockey and they go to an academy. Um and then as I'm beginning to find out more myself individually um uh, about some of the other communities in our city in which sport is not taken for granted. Uh, Sport is out of reach. Sport has boundaries. Sport has been built for other people and not for some people. Um, And that's a shame. And that's a shame. And it was nice to come out here today. As I I think I said off the top, this is the 36th annual except that it hasn't been running for the last little while Blackfoot Invitational. So it's an indigenous basketball tournament with uh, players from all seven nations, Of Treaty 7, Um, they're participating, men, women, uh, 20 plus teams, and they're out here. Um, But again, the constant reminder of culture and a group that is just looking to, it's hard to say because I'm assuming I'm talking to a big audience today that feels comfortable in their own skin, that feels comfortable in in where they fit in society. And yet, you know, there are many people who don't. And sport is the great equalizer. Sport is that thing. Um, you know, one of the – Dr. Tyler White, who's a dear, dear friend, and, and I think one of the most interesting and influential figures in healthcare, but also in sport uh, for the way he views projects. The Every Child Matter hockey game with the Calgary Hitmen, that's all him. Uh, played a huge role in the Flames uh, War Pony, Blasty, the indigenous jersey uh, that the flames did this year, uh, continues to, you know, have reverberations along with, uh, you know, uh, Brent dodging horse and other leaders in sport, um, again, continue to hammer home, hammer home, hammer home, the importance of being active and the importance of having sport available just for, um, you know, just for mental health. And we continue you know, this is my lecture time, by the way, kids. We should, Princey, make a note. We got to get some music and an intro for Rob's soapbox. When I get on my soapbox and I start, um, I start lecturing. Because this is it. This, you, 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 you know, God bless you. A lot of you said, hey, welcome back. We missed you and all those sort of things. This is what you're getting. You're getting someone who is absolutely convinced that my role in life is to continue to foster sport into communities that don't have access to it. Um, I love talking about the pro stuff. I really, really, really do. Um, I I love that aspect of it, but to me, the life's work is, you know, getting people, different cultures, different races, genders, orientation, sexual orientation, um, you know, abilities, uh, you, you know, whatever, keep there there shouldn't be nothing, you know there shouldn't be anything that keeps people who want to be active who want to participate to participate and the benefits continue to continue to get brought up ask yourself this how many of you have been impacted directly by mental health issues in the last 2 years right lots of us how many of us know somebody who has been Right. Kids, schools, if you got them, if you got kids in schools, if you got kids on teams, if you coach your players, your students, your neighbors, they're just not, we're just not the same. We were, Um, we're all dealing with something and sports a great equalizer. It should be the great equalizer. I shouldn't say it is because I think there's still some inequity in it, but it should be the great equalizer. And, and for that, I'm really 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 um uh, just in awe of some of the people that I see working day in day out. Um I'll give you an example, Dr. Pearl, Old yellow woman, uh who works for Sixika Health. Um she's full-time uh, clinician, full-time working in the in the, in you know urgent uh, in uh in the health department here and then in the in the part-time, she's created a uh, adapted lacrosse program for kids out here at Siksika. So working with Scott Godfrey and Dean Siboboda from uh, Asperger's, uh, uh, sorry, from uh, oh, AAFS, I apologize, um, Autism Asperger's Friendship Society. Um, you want to talk about heroes. You want to talk about sports heroes. You want to talk about guys who deserve trophies check out Scott Godfrey and what he's doing in lacrosse. He is making lacrosse available to kids that have never been able to, have always been on the sidelines. And what I'm trying to get across here is that when you do that, you open up doors in life somewhere else for these kids. And I can tell you, because I've seen it for, and I'm going to be at a banquet on Sunday for it. I've seen it firsthand one hour a week of a team sport where you get out, you get out with coaches, you get out with the support, you get out with somebody smiling and telling you you're doing a good job. You get out and they're positively reinforced has such an incredible impact on people's lives, on kids' lives. I'm not saying this because I have snake oil in a, in a wagon behind me and I'm trying to sell it. I'm not putting on, I'm not going to bring out snakes and do an old fashioned revival. But I have seen nonverbal kids, kids who don't talk, can but don't, are not social, all of those sort of things, and get into sport, and it opens up their world. I'm not saying it for effect. I'm not saying it just because I've seen it. I believe it, and I've seen it. So when we look at things like the opioid crisis, when we look at things like education, when we look at things like the election We ought to be asking ourselves, you know, what are we doing here? I, I, you know, I'll I'll say it. I I say this all of the time. I mentioned Dr. Tyler White from Siksika Health. You know what makes Siksika Health unique? Across the country, indigenous, non-indigenous health? Sport and recreation. Sport and recreation falls under the health department for Siksika Nation. And it should for us. It should for the province of Alberta. Sport and recreation should be part of Alberta Health. That's the long-term view. There ought to be, again, programming, funding. Uh, we hear it all the time. Cuts in education, cuts in education, cuts in education. But active, positive, gym. I, okay, let's deal with this other one. Because this one came up. Funny enough, this one came up too, I thought was interesting. In the whole uh, Daryl Sutter thing was, uh, oh, these kids just want you know participatory medals. What about no cut football in high school and no cut sports in high school? Are we doing disservice to our kids by saying, okay, you're not good enough to play on the team, so you don't get to play anymore? I really do believe that if we invested in sport as a function of our health system, that in 20 or 30 years, we would see remarkable results. Now, said it before, I'll say it again. There isn't a politician alive that's trying to get reelected in 20 or 30 years, two or three years. Yes. 20 or 30. No. So God bless you UCP party for cutting some big checks down the stretch. And I'm very lucky to be working with an organization that got one of those, but I will be very interested to see if that one-time donation is kind of equaled out next year with a cut to a program. We really got, and again, We've got an opioid crisis. We've got a mental health crisis. We really need to be rethinking the way we're doing sport. Okay, Rob gets off. The, the, I know, I know. You're logging off. I get it. I understand. Eric Dehatchek's coming. He'll save the show. God, Rob, why do you keep talking about these real-life issues? I don't know. can't help myself. I can't help myself. Um, we are not, not in the Oodle Noodle studio. Oh, by the way, Oodle Noodle brings the heat. Have you tried their butter chicken mac and cheese, their Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai classic, vegetarian and gluten friendly options? Uh, Pick up and delivery to Calgary locations, 1244 uh, 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Coming up on Monday, Ryan Pike from uh, Flames Nation, the managing editor. Have you have you gone to Flames Nation? You should um, if you like the Calgary Flames. It's funny how that works. The Oilers Nation, if you like the Oilers. Canucks Army, if you like the Canucks. Blue Jays Nation, you you picking up what I'm throwing down here? Um, Anyway, uh, I give Ryan's crew a ton of credit. They are just grinding out all kinds of articles on all kinds of things. The Flames, individuals, coaching, general manager, uh, the arena, uh, and stuff like that. So just a little shout out to our friends at Flames Nation. Calgary Flames in the midst of a general manager search. Um, we don't hear a lot. Uh, I would suggest to you that if I was, um, and I, I believe I said this on Wednesday, if I was uh, if I was Don Maloney, I, I'd go to Chicago or Vancouver. I'd go somewhere else. I would rent a hotel uh, room, get a conference room, not unlike this one, as a matter of fact, I would offer this to the Calgary Flames. I mean, I shouldn't. It's not my health department, not my health office, but I would talk to my friend, Dr. Tyler White, and see if they could use it. But get the hell out of Dodge. Start your interview process, which I believe they have done. I believe Craig Conroy's back. Um, I believe that Conroy and Pascal are no brainers, that both of those guys um, should get conversations. Uh, I believe that uh, Wes Gilbertson actually wrote a really good column uh, again uh, about candidates. I think if you listen to Elliot Friedman's podcast, Chris Johnson's podcast, uh, Frank Saravelli, there's no shortage of names. Uh, what I would hope is that, that Don Maloney would go somewhere else, so we're not staking them out at the airport and not doing the rumor stuff. Get it down to a small number and then bring them back. Um, you know, interesting the the point that was made earlier in the week about his comment, Don Maloney's comment about, you know, talk to the coaches, talk to the staff, talk to the trainers, talk to prominent agents. Um, I wonder if, you know, not that you this goes, (laughs) this goes back to the whole snowflake conversation, I suppose. If you wanted a player's perspective on this, what player would you want? If you were going to add, is it Jonathan Huberto because he's making the most? Is it Michael Backlund because he's got the seniority? Is it Rasmus Anderson because he very well could be the captain of this team moving forward? Uh, I'm curious to see if there's any interaction. And I don't know if we know. I, I suppose we'd have to ask. Uh, interaction between the, the search committee or the search. I said search committee. I said Don Maloney. Is it Don Maloney, John Bean? Is it? Uh, I hope Brent Gibbs. I hope they ask the retail guy to get involved in that. Uh, but you, you know the point I'm trying to raise here. Um, I think it is, and and just cautious, uh yesterday we we're talking about Andrew Burnett or Brunet as a possible head coaching candidate, and I think he's a candidate. Um, you know, he had he, he had the success with uh, Jonathan Uberdeau. Um I, I get a little bit um, nervous when you're looking at one thing somewhat myopically. Oh. We ought to get him because Huberdeau had his best regular season. Ah, but what did hap- what happened to the Panthers in the playoffs? You know, it, it, there was a reason why, you know, Florida moved on. Uh, and I, I, again, so a league full of retreads, I get that. I understand that all of that. I understand. But I think when we're having these conversations about he's a candidate and she's a candidate and, and they're a candidate, um, you know, I, I, especially on the coaching side, it's so refreshing to hear Maloney say what we all know. Let the coach, let, let the GM hire the coach. Um, all due respect to Mitch Love, Mitch Love will be a head coach in the National Hockey League. I believe Ryan Huska will be a head coach in the National Hockey League. I'll go one better than that. I think Kale McLean is also a candidate at some point to be a head coach in the National Hockey League. These are all guys. Uh, people forget Jared Bedner was in the Flames organization. He was an assistant coach, I believe, with Jim Playfair. Um, so, you know... You, there's lots of guys, Glenn Gullitson was coaching the flames uh ECHL team in Vegas and eventually made it to the National Hockey League. Um, lots of candidates out there. i you know now with columbus looking and and who knows what happens, there's a lot of smoke anyway in the Rangers. There's going to be teams looking for coaches, there's teams looking for coaches. Um, you know, are you in danger of losing them? I suppose, but still, the process is get the general manager first and and go from there. Um, I, and I'm going to say this one more time, I'll say it one more time, I think that the Flames should interview whoever the general manager is, the Flames' new general manager should interview Carla McLeod, and I am not saying that to be part of Woke Nation, I am not saying that other than, anything other than having watched Carla, I, I have a unique perspective on Carla, Carla comes to superheroes on Sunday mornings. So she's out there with kids who are just starting to learn to play hockey. Kids, you know, are superheroes, and I see how she handles them. And then I watch her with Chechia. And I, I, we, we've had this unique perspective because everything that she's done with Chechia has been shown to the world. The IWF, TSN have all been there. They've shown us the post games. They've shown us the the, the player conversations. I have seen Carla speak to coaches. I know how out-professional and out-prepared and just thorough, she is. So let's push aside, Ty, close your ears. Remember, Ty, close your ears. Let's push the bullshit aside, the misogyny aside. The best possible candidate. I am making a case for Carla McLeod to get an interview. I think she deserves it. It was interesting, Wes Gilbertson writing on his uh, in his column in The Sun about uh, candidates He mentioned, uh, general manager candidate, sorry. Uh, He mentioned uh, Haley Wickenheiser. We are getting to that point, thankfully, that the best person, the best person is getting mentioned. Now, best person getting hired? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I worry sometimes that we still have these teams being run and I'm not talking about the flames, I'm talking about right across the board, all four teams. Um, I still worry that we have people making decisions based on the aesthetic of it. Oh, wouldn't it be good if we brought this person in? Wouldn't we look good? Um, we what if we hired these people, these people to do this job? Wouldn't we look good? Um until a major sports franchise is handed lock, stock and barrel. And the, the, the top of the food chain is, you know, someone other than an old white male. I think we still have, which I am, by the way. Uh, so I, and I recognize that. We have to be creating opportunities. So by the way, if we're going to create opportunities, we ought to be doing it at the grassroots level and not just elevating people because of who they, what they've done, but actually making sure that we have gender equality in Timbits and racial diversity in U nine. That's how we make change. But I want to put my on the coaching side. And again, head of the general manager. Sure. I get you. I understand. But I think once the general manager goes, I would like to see Carla McLeod get that opportunity. She's going to do a bet. Like if you're a fan Of women's hockey Get ready Calgary You got the defending uh, Youth sports champions And (laughs) Hey You want to come in for a couple minutes Okay perfect I do have a special guest Ahead of our friend Eric DeHatchik I was hoping this was going to happen So I'm going to pull this chair up for you And you and I are going to uh, share my phone And I'm going to just do this And I am very excited to welcome Leanne Slate to the program. Um, Leanne, thanks for doing this. Today, I, I talked a little bit about it, but I want you to talk a little bit about it. Today is a very important day. Can you just give us a, a little overview of, of what happened here at Siksika today and, and, and why this is important?
3: Okay. So as, you're, as everyone is aware across Canada, the world, that May 5th has been designated as the Red Dress Day to honor um the families that were affected by MMIWG and um, this stemmed actually from the TRC mm-hmm. you know that was called to action number 41 and since then through the work of the inquiry um the, the, you know um, the red dress um, came about in regards to recognizing those families that, have not received any words regarding their family that is missing, right. that it has been murdered, um, and what's happening right across the country here. So, in our home here in Sixaga, the community of Sixaga, um, we have we've been working with about twenty families that have been affected that don't have an answer where their families are at and helping them out and the biggest thing that has come out out of all of this is the word um ambiguous loss Mm -hmm. ambiguous loss because they don't have closure they don't have an answer to where their families are um, what has happened Uh, in some cases the the files have um, gone stale they haven't been picked up You know, the main one would be that I'm aware of at this point that we've worked with is the yellow old woman family. There it's been a few years that and they still continue to search for him. And it's been a few years, no answers to the family. I don't want to, you know, um, get into any more details about that. But we we're working with them to address that loss and to help them to find closure in their own way. And the work that we do is um, working with our um, our traditional um, ceremonialists, because in our culture, in our way, um, you know, we have our own healing, you know, um, ways of healing through our ceremony. So we draw in our traditional grandfathers, grandmothers, our societies as well, um, to help them and, you know, through our ceremonial ways, either... Um, through the sundance or to actually go into the home um, and then do the ceremonial face painting, um, do the um, cleansing with the sage and that's what um, the Blackfoot people um, do to help people out that are especially they are grieving. So in our way what we've been taught is um, when death happens, um, we don't hang on to that. Mm-hmm. you know it's we don't celebrate it. Um, immediately we've been encouraged that we um, attend to ourselves right away so that the death spirit doesn't.
0: Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
3: And linger around. And in their case, you know, they don't know if they're here with us on earth or if they've gone to the spirit world. And it's very interesting. I wasn't able to attend a walk because I was helping out with a ceremony there. But they caught up on the wind, the wind that walked with them during the 5K walk for the red dress. And so when um, we were talking and, you know, that the wind is, you know, the wind of our ancestors being with us, letting us know that we're not alone here. Mm -hmm. You know, we have guidance from our ancestors, from the creator to help us to move to that point of um, healing and putting some closure to this and bringing the awareness out to um, Canada, out to our youth, our people, um, to you know, in a um, to make them aware that we need to stand together collectively to address these societal issues that are affecting us uh, right across the board.
1: One of the, the the poignant things for me today was that it also corresponds with the relaunch of the Blackfoot Invitational Tournament and you were recognized at that tournament. Can you just talk about the importance and the intersection of of sport and activity and wellness when you are trying to reestablish the ceremonies and the culture with the youth?
3: So from, um, from the stories I've been told, um, we governed ourselves, you know, prior to the, um, European contact and, um, Through our societies, you know, it's like going from K to 12, you know, that curriculum. And we were guided through those societies, right from the young, right to the um, adult. And um, part of our way of life was the physical activity. And it was part of our training of the memory skills, the um, disciplinary um, methods, the um, respecting Mother Earth, uh, and all its creatures, you know, that um, we live we lived off of. And today those values are coming back. We're being taught about those values. We're teaching our younger generation about those values. And part of it was sports, mm-hmm. you know. Um, basketball was a part of the um, traditional games that we have. Um, we had fun learning. We had fun. Um, you know, the the atmosphere, it was um, very well received to, um, for the the adult generation to be teaching the younger ones about these things, because everything was oral, you know, nothing was written for us, everything was taught orally. And those are skills that they um, grew up with in order for them to go into their adult life. So, taking this into consideration of what's happening today, bringing back that Blackfoot Invitational games, uh, basketball games to Siksika, um, amongst the other sports, um, it's, it, it's going to help our younger generation, you know, to look up to that, mm-hmm. to feel a part of it, and to have that sense of pride that they belong to that. Because when you're active, it helps you to heal. It helps you to reach the inner core of yourself to bring that healing about. And that's part of the healing journey that we're encouraging our people to take on. And it's been very, very well directed by our CEO, Tyler White, our mental health um, clinical coordinator, Dr. Q, and then our also our um, community wellness team leader, Pauline Yellowfly.
1: You're part of the health services, too, though, right? In the the sense that there's a role for, I guess, scientific, you know, modern medicine, but traditional ways are also part of the health services.
3: Yes, I am. I came on board in 2008 um, under the um, approved um, Indian Residential Settlement Agreement as a health support worker. We didn't know then what we were going to encounter. We didn't know the stories we were going to hear. Um, no one had spoken about their experiences of the Indian Residential School. And our resources really lacked at that time. Things were still kept in secrecy. So as we journeyed through the settlement agreement for the Indian Residential Health Support Program, the TRC process um I'd say it would be the guiding light that helped open up a lot of doors for a lot of First Nation people, Indigenous people, and they do call it as a um, status-blind process. So mm-hmm. that's anybody that was affected by it, uh, regardless of their race. So with that, um, we started to learn, our, you know, from the needs of our people, where we needed to go. So, you know, IRS settlement agreement has now closed its doors. And we needed to continue to move forward. Alberta has the best track. The Alberta region has the best track for the work that's being done in the 48 communities here in Alberta. Working with our people and also in the urban settings as well, with the um, NGOs as well. Working with our people and where we champion in our area would be um, focusing on wellness through our traditional Culture, our traditional ways. So, as a result of that, um, we are now newly formed with the title of um, the Traditional Wellness Health Support Program, because that's what we do and that's what we have been working on, um, working with our traditional um, people, our knowledge keepers, to help the people to understand their identity, their roots, um, and to connect back with Mother Earth for the portion of the healing that people need to move forward. We can't stay where we're at. We can't look back to the pain, the loss that has happened to us, because if we do, that's where the addictions come in. And we see a lot of that in the community now.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. We know there's a crisis right now in the blood. Um, We know it's an issue, six sick, it's an issue in Calgary. Can you just talk a little bit about the, the role that we can play and again i'm back on the sports side i think if we can keep kids active if we can keep them engaged that sport can be a vehicle to help us win this battle
0: <clears throat> you
3: know um i'm i'm on a healing journey myself you hmm. know and one of the um excuse me myself
1: no cell phone. it's all good
3: <sighs> um one of the best ways that I can attest to the question that you've asked me is what helped me to heal? Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot just sit there and um, contemplate on the issue. You're the, um, and I don't have the mechanics of all the um, the wording in regards to your brain activity, what happens with you. Um, but I turned when I went through a tragedy in my life. Um, I turned to exercising. And I got the most benefit out of that because when you're exercising and, and you know you're sweating blood and tears, or not blood, um you're sweating tears. <laughs> um I was thinking of Rocky. I know, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, okay. I was I was starting to act like Rocky there. <laughs> but when you're sweating and you know, you have no room to think about anything else. You know, that's one of the best ways to heal is to just drain yourself through activity, through sports, you know, and it helps us. It brings our spirit back to us. It helps us to center ourselves because you're in the now. And that's the most important part of healing, you know, um, is to bring yourself to the now so that you're not 60% Sixty percent in the past worrying mm-hmm. about uh, or worrying about the future as well too. It's being in the now, and I think sports is something that really helps us to ground ourselves to um, um, to really look at the core core side of what's happening inside you. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, with other um, the 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 mental um, health portion of it as well, yeah. and then having our community um, our cultural support as well too. Those are the um, areas that you would reach out to. But having that activity happen into you, making that adrenaline pump you up, you know, I think that's, you know, one of the best things that can happen. And I think sports is really, really needed to help our younger generation, help our youth out. Because when they're out there and they're, you know, um, getting that adrenaline going, They have no time to think about these things and it helps them, but they need that ongoing support in order for continuity to happen for healing.
1: Leanne, today's such an important day. Thank you for joining us. It was an honor to to sit in on the ceremony today. And it's always a pleasure to come out here to Siksika and and, uh, just my favorite people, um, mostly because of your sense of humor. and, (laughs) And you're just, you guys are just the most giving people, but thanks for hosting us today and thanks for coming on and spending some time with us.
3: Thank you. So um, I really appreciate that this day has been set aside to recognize such an important part that has happened to our people. And we hope that down the road, few years down the road, that we find answers to many of the things that we don't know, we don't have answers for. Only God knows, only Creator knows. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, very honored to have uh, Leanne Slate from uh, Sixica Health Services join us on this very important day. Um, but also, again, it's nice to have somebody else talk about the importance of the intersection of sport, mental health, culture. It, and it does it does. That. Like it, it's, you know. Um, all right. So I believe we have our next guest on. Um, So let me do this. Let me just let everybody know um, that we are sponsored by our good friends at Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary, right? Uh, Three locations, some good deals on skis. There's some good deals on snowboards, but right now it's the the, uh, clothing. I know it's beautiful outside. If you were in California, you wouldn't need any of this. But the winter's going to come back here in Canada. We know that. Jump on it right now. Uh, I believe we are joined right now by our good friend Eric DeHatchuk uh, from The Athletic. And Eric, I, I appreciate you being patient with me today. We're uh, rare on location. You know me. I used to do long, all, all my shows were on location. Now I, I'm doing my first. And we're out here at Siksika Health and and supporting our friends out here. So thank you for your patience. How are you, sir?
2: I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm just wrapping up another interesting week in the the National Hockey League. You keep thinking that there's going to be a lull, that something is, you know, it'll just be business as usual. And then, you know, upsets in the first round, changes in Calgary. And uh, and that's good because if you're in the news business, you need stuff to happen. The worst thing that can happen is, uh, you know, one dull event after another. So this has been an interesting week again
1: let's start in Calgary. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to our conversation a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Surprised, but not shocked. How would you describe what happened on Monday?
2: That That's actually a good way of, of summing it up uh, in, in a very concise way. Um, I think, you know, the column that I wrote, my conclusion was that, you know, they got to the right answer, uh, but it took a lot of, you know, different, very, you know, twists and turns to, to to get to it but ultimately it came down to the fact that there were two paths forward after you know they had mutually agreed to part ways with uh, with Brad Tree living one would have been if Daryl Sutter had had remained as the coach and that seemed like a, a like a real possibility because he had mm-hmm. two years left on his contract and as we talked about before the ownership here generally doesn't like paying someone not to work um and then there was was another another path forward where they change the coach and then that would create uh, you know, a, a, an opening for a general manager who has to be the first hire to then come in with a vision for what they see this team being short, medium, and 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 long term. And 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 part of that, of course, would be you know choosing who you want yourself behind the bench to be that coach. So I, I think this is the right path forward. I will tell you this: you know, Don Maloney has given two press conferences over, I guess, you know, two weeks in a day. I came away very impressed uh with with how he you know presented everything. Yep. Um you, you don't often get that kind of honesty uh at uh, at press conferences. Often you get a lot of boilerplate. Mm-hmm. When he couldn't answer a question, he said I can't answer that question, but I but I think he gave us uh some some real insights in, in into what his decision-making process was. And, and you know, it, it was simply that, you know, after talking to all of the people that have our stakeholders in this from players, staff, um, f- members of, of management, uh, members of, of coaching staff, agents, he, he yeah. mentioned agents a yeah. couple of times. That, that was, you know, that was very interesting because the agents are privately are going to give you the complete unvarnished truth. So that what, Players can say publicly, and even what agents can say publicly, are one thing. But if you're having a private, you know, it's just the two of us talking. What's really going on here? Kind of a thing. Um, then I think you you know distill down to the to, to the nitty gritty. So so where are they at? I mean, so they're they're looking for a new general manager. Um, I think the players that hedged about the future probably still are not prepared to Mm -hmm. commit right now because they want to see what the direction is going forward, but it does feel as if um, there are more, more options on the table than there were two weeks ago. And so I think that, that ultimately will be a good thing because then, then of course you have to believe uh, in in the assessment that they made, that they have a good team, that this is a team that should have made the playoffs. And if, if it had made the playoffs might've been uh, a hard out in the playoffs And, and certainly based on what we've seen so far in these playoffs, it's hard to argue with that, you know. Mm-hmm. It, if there's ever been a year that has reiterated that point, just get in, and you never know. You know, two weeks and and a few days in, into this postseason, it, it's it's proof again that you know, you if if you if you have a group that trusts each other, that that can play with structure, that um, you know, that you know catches the right breaks in in terms of your injuries versus their injuries and so on and so forth, there is always a way to navigate through the playoff waters. And so, yeah, you know, and and this, even the start of the second round has just been completely fascinating. I mean, I'm I'm not sure what fans in Calgary think of Toronto, Florida right now, because when you think about two of the principals on that Florida team, Sam Bennett and, and Matthew Kachuk, and then, you know, the impact that they had here, one obviously more than the other. And now the impact that they're having on this this Florida team that looks looks as if it could be in the final four if it wins two more games out of the next five. So uh yeah, yeah, just a, a really interesting time to watch and, you know, and, and our side of it to chronicle.
1: I'm I'm so glad you you mentioned the the press conference because that's the conversation I had with Peter. I you know, I see so many of them, but that one just seemed like Don Maloney was in charge, professional. I that that almost sounds like I didn't think he was professional, but that's yeah, not yeah. what I mean. No, you. Oh, go ahead.
2: No, no, no. He, 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 professional is the exact word. You know, like yeah. you want. You know. I use it, people always get upset when I when I say this, but you, you sometimes you, you need an adult in the room or you want mm-hmm. an adult in the room. And yes. and so w- when I see you know Don Maloney there taking over a very difficult situation because let's face it, you know, he and Brad Tree Living were and are fast friends. So the fact that you know that he was pressed into service after you know the, the parting of ways between Brad and the organization put him in an awkward position. But I think that once he took a few deep breaths. It was like, okay, so I'm in charge and I have been in charge before. And by the way, you know, when, you know, if there's ever someone that you want to trust to run your organization at a time when, when there are hard choices to be made, somebody that ran Arizona for nine years, including part of <laughs> yeah. that NHL ownership is the person that I would want, because yeah. there isn't a single thing that he didn't see in all those years running Arizona that True. that will make these problems, these problems will pale in comparison to what they had to deal with in terms of budget, in terms of, yep. of the way, you know, you know, crazy owners and then the commissioner for a while. And I, I mean, it, it was just one thing after another. And, and, and to be able to navigate through that and, um, was was impressive. And, and so I think that, you know, you, you get battle scars from something like that. And, uh, and I think in, in his particular case, you know, you, you just see that there's a gravitas about him. Uh, that he's someone that can take the step back. Again, That people in this day and age want instant results and they want instant yep. answers. And and so after the first press conference, it's like, okay, it's time to take a step back. It's time to do due diligence. And then it's time to consider the information that I've gathered. That to me is the one thing that that if it happens, it's not Stressed enough over over the years, you know, you you take all of the information. You think, okay, well, you know, maybe there's an awful lot of people that didn't like working for Daryl Sutter, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that we're moving from him. But you you weigh it all, and it's like, okay, but I just can't see, you know, like the the better path forward is is to just completely clear the decks and and to to start with a with a fresh. Um, managerial team, mm-hmm. and then and then manage and, and you can't start with a fresh managerial team if, if they are saddled with a coaching staff. I don't care what you say. Yep. Um, you know, whenever a coach and inher- a manager inherits a coach, you know, once in a while they can make it work. I guess you know, Tree Living and Bob Hartley found a way to make it work for a while. But but mostly, you want to be able to come in at, as a manager and say, okay, this is my hockey team. I'm going to stamp my imprimatur on it, and the first thing I need to do is is interview a series of coaches, but choose someone that I think can take this group and 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 make it better than it was a year ago. So again, I, I thought, you know, nothing but but positive things that have come out of you know the the events of this week for sure. But you
1: you made reference to the same thing that a couple of us have made reference to. We talked to the players, we talked to the assistant coaches, we talked to the traders, we talked to the agents. Yeah. Is that significant? Is that a is that a change in in the way the game is now or the way we're doing business is by actually acknowledging that?
2: Well, I, I think it's been, it's been heading in that direction for a long time, Rob. I mean, just think mm-hmm. about the number of agents that are now running teams, you know, Ted Hughes yep. is running uh, Montreal. His experience is strictly on on that side of, mm-hmm. of the equation. And and let's face it, you know, that uh, managing the salary cap, uh, understanding the salary cap, is a big part of what makes a successful general manager today. And uh, so it's probably very rare that you would find someone that can take that job as a general manager and be able to check every single box. You know, has he been a scout? Has he uh, negotiated contracts? Has he worked in, you know, in, in an agency? Um, you know, not So if, if you haven't checked all of the boxes, you just, and you get that job, then you find somebody that, that fills in the gaps of your knowledge that you trust. And, uh, so I, I do think that it's, it's been trending that way for, for quite some time. Uh, but I do think that it's as important as it ever is right now, because, uh, Uh, And again, it comes down to the care and feeding of of the modern day NHL players, you know, and that was something else that Don Maloney said in in the press conference. There was a time 20, 30, 40 years ago uh, when there were a limited number of jobs in the National Hockey League, when, you know, when there was no salary cap, uh, you know, it it was it it was harder for players' voices to be heard. Terry Crisp used to say that all the time, you know, that. You know, when he played, you know, if the coach said jump and the player's response was how high. And he said, you know, now if the coach says, you know, jump and it'll be like, okay, well, why am I jumping? Uh, You know, what's the how high do you want me to jump? You know, is it this wall or that wall? You know, they they have more questions than answers. And so it's a fundamental difference in the workplace uh, today compared to 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And the agents are the conduit between the team and, and the players. The players, especially the high-end ones who have the guaranteed contracts, no trade clauses in, in their contracts, they know they're going to outlast the coach. And so you have to make sure that you keep your core group happy. And, and I think more and more, probably general managers are, are spending time consulting with the linchpins of an organization. You know, what did you see from ice level? You know, what do you need? You know, what, how close are we? Um, So you're getting input, I think, from from a lot more sources in today's game than you might have a generation or two ago. What
1: what happens to Daryl now? I mean, does this preclude him from coming back and, and coaching again? What where's where does he go?
2: That's a good question. I mean, he's got two years left on on his contract. Um, but, you know, I think he'll he'll collect uh, you know the you know four million plus for for that period of time. I think he will. You know, again, he's very he's a very close family man. I think he will. Mm-hmm. You know, have more of, of an opportunity to spend time with the with his family. He has a lot of friends in in the game. You know, during the time between his last full time coaching job and this one, he was a consultant with Anaheim. I think there are teams that would probably want to tap into es- his expertise. Um, because he is a smart guy and a knowledgeable long-term hockey guy. So a lot will depend on what he wants to do. Like, you know, does he have a chance to become a full-time head coach again? Maybe, maybe 64. It's not, the you know, Mm -hmm. know, he isn't exactly, you know, doddering at at this stage of the game. I think it would be, um, you know, only a handful of teams would have the what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say courage. Maybe that is the word uh, to hire Daryl because, you know, like you pretty much know what you're going to get with, with Daryl. There's a single minded way that, Mm -hmm. uh, that he, that he coaches. And so if you think that the message that he can bring um, is is what your team needs, then yeah, I I do think there, there's a chance. I think it's more likely uh, that like a lot of people who are essentially hockey lifers that, you know, consultancy, input guest coaching those types of things are, are more likely for him but uh, I don't think uh, he'll disappear completely because I think that you know that he and everyone in his family you know hockey is part of the fabric of their of their lives and so if an opportunity uh, comes up uh, it's something that he'll look at
1: I think he's a, a hall of famer as a coach is is that a an argument that could be made
2: Yeah. uh, You know, I haven't been on the selection committee for five years now. Mm -hmm. Um, We're having a hard, we were having towards the end, a hard time electing NHL coaches, you know, like to me, there, you know, there are a number of coaches that are on the top 10 all time wins list. They would qualify as builders uh, in, in the game. And uh, but I'd be hard pressed to predict who the next hall of fame coach is. Is it it Joel Mm -hmm. Quineville um uh, is it going to be Barry Trotz um is it going to be Lindy Ruff you know they're all I, I I think I don't have the list in front of me but I think they're all among the top 6 or 7 winningest coaches of all time still not in the hall is it Ken Hitchcock it's yep. you know there's there's an awful lot of coaches that have had a tremendous amount of success in the NHL for a long period of time and still aren't in in the hall um and again it's because that builders category is such a catch all that um you know that sometimes it's hard it's hard to get a consensus. So um so uh, I, I'm I'm hedging on that one, Rob, and, and not sure. just because it's Daryl, but because um there are there are I think at least four or five coaches yeah. that have had um more overall success than Daryl Sutter and and aren't in and I would suggest that they will be first and then maybe somewhere down the road. <laughs>
1: yeah that that's a really good reminder to me that it's not something that happens a lot, right? It's not a
2: common occurrence. So it isn't, no, no. no. And, and a lot of times, it you know, the last you know, few, few coaches, you know, we've, we've had U.S. college coaches, we've had Claire Drake, a Canadian college coach, the NHL mm-hmm. coaches that have been have been elected um, have also had a bit of an, an international uh, success on 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 their resumes. So um, so yeah, it's a it's a the Hall of Fame, you know. I mean that so it's a month and change away before the. Yep committee in in 2023 gets together and we'll see what, uh, what they're going to do. I mean, there is a part of me that would really like to see uh not so much uh momentum on the side of coaches but momentum on the side of goaltenders you know like it's it's long been my position and i've articulated to you for a number of years that goaltenders are underrepresented at, at the hockey hall of fame and we always mm-hmm. talk about how important they are to the success of a team and yet you know if you look at percentages uh you know they are vastly underrepresented compared to forwards and 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 a, quite a bit underrepresented uh, against defensemen so you know last year roberto luongo Got in. I suspect Henrik Lundqvist will get in, but I wonder if the Mike Vernons, yeah. the Tom Brassos, the Mike Richters, the Chris Osgoods, the Curtis Josephs, um, who've all had you know quite distinguished careers, if they're going to start to get a little bit of traction at some point going forward. I, I think they will. I, mm-hmm. I, I just think I, I think that you know the Hall has addressed some of the inequalities on the European side. Um, You know, I think it's become there's been more representation on the international side in the last eight to 10 to to 15 years. Um, They're doing a good job right now, I think, in the female player category. Um, And it would it would it would seem to me that within the male player category, you know, the one shortfall that they probably should and need to address is the is the lack of goaltenders with credentials that that warrant inclusion and so uh that's that's the thing that i'll be looking for this year and i i don't you know i'm not on the committee anymore i don't have any yeah. in, intel uh, direct intel into uh you know who might have been nominated because the nomination period uh, closed on april 15th i don't think that's changed since i was there so the candidates list is there and uh and then the next step will be you know presentations which i think is the you know, right, right towards the end of, uh, of June. So that'll be a, uh, that'll be an interesting, uh, conversation for that. Uh,
1: two more on the locals and then we'll get into the Stanley cup playoffs. Um, do you think that Jonathan Huberdo becomes a little bit more under the microscope next year just because of what's transpired?
2: Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, I do think so. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, you can explain away his season uh, in a lot of different ways, you know, a, adjusting to, you know, the, the hockey climate and culture of Calgary after a career in Florida where, you know, uh, the, the pressure from day to day and hour to hour and minute to minute wasn't nearly as intense as he would have faced. Um, the fact that he is primarily a playmaker and if and if you look at the roster of players on, on the Flames, there, there aren't too many that qualify strictly as, as snipers or goal scorers um so you know there's a lot of mitigating circumstances but somewhere between the 115 point player that he was two years ago and and the player that had what was 60 this year is Mm -hmm. probably the real Jonathan Huberdo and uh and so I think that uh one he'll you know he'll be used to this market um you know he'll have the summer to you know Get his head around you know what what he can expect, so you know th- th- thinking you know and then actually experience it are, are two completely different things and then you know again, depending on how the roster gets tweaked uh, you know it 's possible that uh, that they 'll get him some help uh, you know and and somebody that that meshes more with his skill set and so uh but absolutely i mean you know he, you could argue if if you were his representative that you know for the five point nine million that he earned this year. He had an okay year, um, but next yeah. year he's a 10.5 million dollar player. And what I will tell you is that you, if you're a 10.5 million dollar player, you are expected to produce at that level. I mean, I just did a note in my in my weekly column about uh, about Artemi Panarin. I you know, if mm-hmm. you look at it, he had a pretty good regular season, but he didn't mm-hmm. have a very good playoff. They lost in the first round, and he's an 11.116 million dollar player yeah. and sorry but if you if you're if you're earning that compensation your your production has to be disproportionate to the guy that signs an a, you know a contract for the league minimum is making 800 000 if, if you're the you know 800 000, 750 850 a year guy and you score 10 goals then you are meeting expectations but if you are a 10 million dollar player you better be, especially in this day and age, a 1.2 points a game player. And if you're not, then then you're not performing to your contract. So, And if you don't like the pressure of that, then don't sign eight years for 84 million. So, Agreed.
1: Um, I don't, if I was in the king of the world, I'd make a rule that we can't talk about possible coaches until there's a GM in place, but I'm not mm-hmm. the king of the world. Um, <laughs> you're not. And, I not know. I, who knew? Uh, but to that end, how much consideration should Andrew Burnett be given because of the tie to Huberdeau and his season? You know, it almost seems to me like that's a really narrow view of this situation.
2: No, I I agree with you. You know, you can't hire a coach to manage one personality because you have to manage 23 roster players or 22, however many you carry on, 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 uh, on your roster. So what I would tell you is that I do think so. Hire a general manager and general manager comes in, looks at the, the available coaching pool. You know, you've got veterans, you know, like Peter Laviolette that have been around a long time. Is he the right fit here? Probably not. You know, so then, you know, you look at assistant coaches or associate coaches that are are waiting their opportunity and you know, there might be a few there and and one of them would be Andrew Brunett and and you could make the case that you know he stepped into a situation in Florida after he took over from Joel Quenville mm-hmm. he had a very good team but he was a great steward for that team and so you know there there's a lot to be said for the the way he got that team to the playoffs and, uh, and, and then, you know, they lost in the second round. I think the feeling was that he was out coached a little bit and that they needed someone with a bit more, you know, bench savvy. That's why they switched to Paul Maurice. I do think that the way Paul Maurice has been coaching in these playoffs leads you to think that, yeah, that, you know, that he is is the guy that can push the right buttons in terms of getting matchups and and getting lines going and so on and so forth. But, but if you, as the new general manager, evaluate Andrew Brunette as the best possible overall candidate then absolutely he should be a, yeah. a consideration he shouldn't be hired just to to manage Jonathan Huberto that would be the wrong reason but that doesn't mean that he's not the right uh, candidate no. I, I would say that you have to talk to him um, again depending on you know you can't now while New Jersey is still playing um, I think there probably would be other teams that want to talk to him uh, depending on uh, you know there's four openings mm-hmm. at the moment and there could be more so um, so I would have uh, I would have no issues with him being the next coach here, uh, but not just because he has a relationship uh, with Jonathan Huberto. Right. And and let me ask you a question, because, you 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 know, the minor league team better than I do. But I hear nothing but good things about Mitch Love. And is the only question, you know, is he ready now or does he need to come to the NHL as an assistant for a year or two just to, you know, be in every rink? And adjust to the you know the life, and 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 then maybe he's the you know the the, the next coach after that because um, I I I don't know anything about him or, or I, I know very little about him and not enough to to be able to authoritatively say that he should be a, a candidate. But the the things I hear from the people I talk to, yeah, very impressive guy,
1: Re- really successful in the Western Hockey League, kind of a rapid ascension into the American Hockey League. Has you know pushed all the right buttons has had a, yeah. a terrific goalie and that's a great equalizer right that yeah. you know he's 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 been able to work with one but the chatter and and I hate saying this because right. we always live in historical comparisons right yeah. but it does remind me he's being talked about the same way that remember John Cooper in Syracuse was talked about like that's right. the guy like yeah. there's the guy coming and yeah. I I but I think that I think highly of Ryan Huska too yeah. but I think Huska's got that unfortunate you know, you can't be the assistant on the main team and take over. That's always been a difficult job. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, and as I say, that'll be you know Craig Conroy's problem or whoever ends up being the next general manager of the team. But uh, but the, the beauty of it, is, and this is again harkening back to the, the press conference, you know, you don't drop the puck until October. You don't start training yeah. camp until, until September. Now, you want your coach in place before that. You know, the times that coaches have been hired late, it often hasn't worked. I think back about you know John Hay, um, mm-hmm. You know that was that was one of those situations where it couldn't be helped because of the timing, but but you know, to to hire someone in in August and then expect him to come in with a with a plan by September is is challenging. So let's see how these next weeks and months un, unfold. And uh, you know, it, it'll be one of those situations where you know you write down a name for the general manager, you write down the name for the coach, and then when all is said and done, you pull it out of an envelope and see if you're right. So exactly, you know.
1: I I'm making the case here. I'd I'd love to see them, you know, whoever takes over to talk to Carla McLeod. Because yeah. I think she as far as coaching jobs, I think she's done one of the best in the last two years, and it's been all there for everybody to see in Chachia. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, that's you know, neither here nor there. Let's let's go to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Not too far away though. Um What's the difference between Matt Kachuk this year and Matt Kachuk last year in the postseason? Because he was not a force against Edmonton. I thought Evander Kane really nullified him. And now, I mean, if it wasn't for a guy named Dreisaitl, he's probably the runaway leader, the inside track on the Smythe.
2: You know what? I wish I had a good answer for you there. because And I don't, um, other than the fact that I, I think that uh, he probably looks like he feels more comfortable in that team environment in Florida than he, he did in, in, in Calgary. So, you know, like a lot of times, you know, you're asked, you ask your players to, to be leaders, but, you know, but sometimes they end up deferring to older players on the, on the team. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I think Matthew's style, you know, didn't always uh, mesh with what, uh, with what his uh, teammates um, thought and, uh and so, uh, so you know, I think when when he went into into Florida, um, that there that was a team that was ripe for someone to just step in and mm-hmm. f- follow me, you know. And and so yeah. there was no question about uh, who they're following. You know, Barkov, terrific player, but quiet and and you know one of those just get the job done kind of a guys. And so I think as much as anything else, and I think if you go back to what Bill Zito was saying when. Uh, when he made the trade, I think he described him as, as a unicorn, that he has all these different elements, you know, like, so we always talk about, you know, checking everything Mm -hmm. in the box. So he's got this, this personality. He's, he's kind of a, you know, a crafty cunning kind of a guy. You listen to his interviews and, 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 you know, he's saying those words for a purpose, you know, like, you know, he's, you know you know we we're the greatest underdogs in history we're lucky to be on the same ice as them you know i, I mean he's playing a role you know oh absolutely and and, and and i think that 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 has been embraced in in florida and i don't think it necessarily was in in calgary i mean yeah. you know he had a, he had a great regular season for the flames last year he was terrific yeah. on that line and as you say, you know, he, you know, he didn't have a, a great second round. And uh, I mean, who knows, you know, they're, you know, if, if they get through and if it's, if it's Carolina in and, and, and the next round, you know, Carolina may find a way of, of, uh, of limiting uh, his effectiveness. I, I do think that the way Carolina plays um, you know, could have an impact on his, uh, on his results because they, they are just so structured and, and they just don't give you anything. And uh you know, and and, and that's, you know, that, you know, right. Like it or not, the the one thing about the Leafs is that, you know, they are porous in in some areas and they're fun to watch because of that. But, uh, but there are exploitable weaknesses on that team for sure.
1: Are they fast enough for Florida? I mean, maybe that's the part I didn't realize that Florida was fast. Like it's a quick team. yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, no, that's a good question. I, um, I would have I would have said yes. I, I would have said yes before Me the series. And I'm not and I'm not prepared to, you know, to say that yeah. the series is over either because uh because I do think that uh you know that, that some of those players are incredibly talented and uh you know, real realistically, I mean it should be one one, I think, but you know, as we all have said a million mm-hmm. times, that you know, goaltending is an important part of the of the game. And all of a sudden Sergei Bobrovsky, who wasn't even deemed good enough to be the starter at the start of the playoffs, is suddenly Playing like the guy that won the Vezina Trophy you know, twice and is you know making $10 million a year. And so I suppose you can argue, if, if you're the, the Panthers, that if you want a guy to step up and earn his $10 million, if you're going to do it in the second round of the playoffs, that's probably a good time to start.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but the last time we spoke two weeks ago, I was full of crap. Uh, because okay. I said I said the New Jersey Devils, oh, they're just learning to win. They're learning to lose and they'll be good next year. And then they come and they beat the New York Rangers and, and they're having a you know a great run. However, we're one game into the next series, and I'm almost prepared to say, oh, they're just <laughs> learning to lose. They'll be good next year.
2: Well, I like I, I don't I don't I think your analysis was based on the fact that they were not getting great goaltending, and and then all of a sudden, Kira Schmid goes in there and yeah. he wins a whole bunch of games, and and you know like he's you know he's Steve Penny, right? You know he's a guy that's kind of come out of nowhere, and then he gets pulled in the first game against Carolina, and and we don't know. So so what I would say is okay, I, I'm kind of dismissing the first game of that series because I thought. That New Jersey winning Game Seven required them to go to that emotional tank that you can only go to a handful of times in the playoffs. They had to be really, really good to win a deciding game, and I and it looked like there was a letdown in in that first game against Carolina. So, you know, the good news is, you know, it happened. You know, on the road, you can, you know, that you can't give a, a game away. But I think that they will be a better team and better prepared to play against the the Hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game's tonight, isn't it? I, I sometimes yeah, it is It's right? the only yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, 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 I I'm not prepared to write uh, Jersey off. I just thought that uh, that they just didn't have anything in in the emotional tank uh, in 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 that opening game. And but to your point, and and I, I think you made it. You know, the, that that that's a point that a lot of people. Uh, believed and, mm-hmm. and I would probably put myself in that category if I look at New, New, the Rangers on paper if I look at New Jersey on paper I think the Rangers are a year ahead and you know frankly I like Shesterkin better than Vanacek yeah. or Schmid whoever they happen to, <laughs> to go in there so so now if you look you know Shesterkin's on the sidelines Vasilevsky's on the sidelines and, and the goalies that are are still alive right now you know the, the combined salary excluding Bobrovsky is you know not that high right so so it's, it's that whole goaltending voodoo, which you can address a lot more than
1: I can address. Oh, no, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I you know, don't know. At I at own equipment. Let's, let's draw least, the line least, there.
2: At least you're part of the sickness. Right? <laughs> I,
1: I am part of the sickness. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to win, and I don't even know if they're the best team left. But Rod Brindamore's Carolina Hurricanes look like killers. They just, they just don't look like they have a lot of weakness.
2: Well, it's because of their their structure, and so if you, yeah. I, I think they have weaknesses in goal. You know, like Freddie Anderson, you know, could trip on the way, you know, walking from the dressing room to the ice and be out three sure. months. I mean, you know, he's, and and Antti Ranta is another guy that over the course at yeah, times has played sensational hockey, but he just can't stay out of of the injury base. So I think there's there's always uncertainty with Carolina when it comes to the goaltending. I thought by now they'd probably get to cut Chetkov, uh, Uh, Last year at this time, they had already gotten to him. So, you know, question marks in goal, I would say question marks up front. You know, like suddenly Seth Jarvis, who had a really good two years ago and Mm -hmm. looked poised to to have a, a breakthrough year, was very average. And this comes as someone that drafted him in his fantasy pool who was watching him very, very, very close closely. Yes. And I don't think Niemi, uh raised his level to, to where they hoped it would be, but he's another guy that historically, even when he was with Montreal was were good in the playoffs after not being not so good in the regular season. So again, that's something that you like as, as a team, you know, no Svechnikov, no Tarabana. I mean, those are two of their top six forwards on a team that doesn't have a lot of forward depth. Yeah. And so do they have enough scoring? I don't know. I, I, There's a part of me that thinks they don't have enough scoring, but the one thing about it is uh, uh, beyond their structure, their one to six defense is tremendous, you know. So, you know, Brent Burns, (laughs) of all of the people that are playing from that class of 2003, other than Patrice Bergeron, I think Burns is still playing. the the other player that is playing at a high level, not just hanging on the NHL or contributing in the NHL, but making a difference in the NHL. And and I think that would have surprised a lot of people uh, if, uh, if we'd had this conversation five years ago, but he's been, he's been excellent. He's just been an excellent addition there. You know, Jacob Slavin, we know about him. P- Pesci, you know Brady Shea has had a tremendous year for them. Yeah. You know, and, and we haven't even got you know past the the, the top four. You know, they've got on the the power play. Chatfield is is a good player. I, I mean, they, I really really like their defense. I and, do too. And, and and that you know that that is what will win it. Like if 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 all of a sudden you know the commissioner is handing the Stanley Cup to the Carolina Hurricanes in six weeks or whenever the playoffs are over, it will be because of that defense score. And if that does happen, I hope the Smythe winner is a defenseman. I've always argued that. If you're, mm-hmm. if the identity of your team is defense, you have to start looking very hard at defense. I was a big believer at Drew Doughty for the Smythe in, in 2011. I was a big believer in Darian Hatcher in, in 1999 when Joe yep. Newendike won it for, for the Stars. The identity of that team – those teams has, has been their their resolute defense. These defensemen are playing 25, 26 minutes a night. You have to look harder at them for consmite if those teams actually get to the to the championship circle.
1: Over on the West, I uh, Seattle and Dallas, it's, it's an interesting series, don't get me wrong, but it has created given us one of the greatest anomalies in the history of hockey, and that is Joe Pavelski's four-goal night. He becomes <laughs> the oldest player to score four goals, by a mile like it's in it's insanity and and then he added another one last night after coming off of an injury yeah like he do we appreciate not
2: we but the royal
1: we do we appreciate how good this guy is
2: no i don't think so no i I do think that he's one of those guys that has flown under the radar for a long period of time um and again i wish i had uh, all of my materials in front of me but there was a time when i was still back at the globe and mail where i I wrote a story about the top goal scorers from this period to that period. Let's say it was an eight or nine year period and it was all of the, you know, the usual numbers. And I think number four was Joe Pavelski. And I remember the editor in charge came back and said, are you sure about this? And the databases weren't as, as complete yes. as they are today. And I said, yes, I am sure. And I I think I went to the Elias sports Bureau to double check it because that, that was the service that the NHL was using at the time. And they, you know, sent me back something and I sent it to the editor and it was like, huh, I didn't realize that Pavelski had done as much for as as, as long as he did. And I think that, that that always stuck in my mind because you know you look at you know stats for a period of time and then you mm-hmm. and then you know you you see the usual suspects and then you see Joe Pavelski in there. It's like Joe Pavelski, really Joe Pavelski, and then you watch him play. And again, it, it's because he doesn't go end to end. So you don't see him on the highlight and reels. I think that's a, a big part of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're watching, you know, Sports Center or SportsNet or, or, or all the highlight shows at net night. And here's, you know, here's your annual Connor McDavid thing. And here's your Leon Dreisaitl from that spot. And then, you know, you're watching Matthews rifle it to the roof and, and Marner's dipsy doodling. And, and then you think, wow, I went 300 days and I never saw a single Joe Pavelski highlight. Why? Because the shot comes through and he gets it on the shaft of his stick and it changes direction one inch but it's just enough to go in in the net think about you know those so he's got five goals in the two games you know we always think that that you know you're tipping it with the blade of your stick well two of the goals went off the shaft of his stick the puck is high he turns he caroms it off the shaft of his stick and it goes in i mean that's that's not accidental that that is a learned skill um great eye to hand coordination but but you know just from hammering away at it night in and night out or day in and day out because he does it every day at practice i'm told and uh and and it's really underrated. And the only people that really appreciate him are his teammates. Um, you know, if you ever talk to Joe Thornton about Joe Pavelski, he will rave. Mm-hmm. Um, the various coaches that that he's had uh, when Doug Wilson was running San Jose, uh, I remember you know, asking him about Pavelski once in the context of his of his draft position because he was in the two hundreds and he was an afterthought. And he said, "We had a guy." that was pushing him and you a know, scout that was pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And we just felt that we could get him at that point because no one else was watching him. But, you know, somewhere down, you know, there's always been a handful of people that have appreciated what he does. Probably there just aren't enough that appreciate yeah. what he does.
1: Well, we'll end on, on Vegas and Edmonton. And I I'm the first person to say that I loathe the old historical comparisons and stuff like that, but I have to ask you, you know, Crosby, Ovechkin, Gretzky, Lemieux, if by some chance Dreisaitl was drafted by another team, would this league's rivalry be McDavid, Dreisaitl? You know, I know they try to do McDavid and Eichel and McDavid and Matthews, and they really don't. I'm not sure I fully appreciated how good the German Wayne Gretzky is because this guy's putting on a
2: show. Yeah, well, no, I agree with you, and, and I, I just reviewed my voting, and, and uh, because I, I, three weeks before the end of the season, I, I was trying to make the case of why Leon Drysaddle should be number two on your Hart Trophy ballot, right. and you know went through the historical comparisons, like how often in time have. Two players from the same team run one, two, because the, the definition of the award is most valuable to his team. So, can mm-hmm. you know, like when it was Jonathan Taves and, and Patrick Kane, you know, yeah, contributed something really important to the team. But True. who was the most important? And if, if one was the most important, did that split the vote and, and the other guy fall completely off of your ballot? and of course you know if you go back in time it's it was Phil Esposito and 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 Bob and you could make mm-hmm. that case but again it's a defenseman and a forward that are complementing yeah. each other and then you go further back in time and it was a goaltender and, and a forward but it's never been two forwards and uh and so or it hasn't been two forwards since the, the the 30s and and the 40s and i think it was Elmer Locke and and uh Toe Blake so um so yes it's it's really unprecedented and and so you know you're imagining a a world where you know Drysital is is you know the, the guy that drives play on Team A I and mean, McDavid yeah. is is the player that, and and I can absolutely see that because you know most of the year they played apart five on five they are mm-hmm. obviously well matched on on the power play and there there's a reason that that's the the most historically percentage wise successful power play of all time but yeah he's he, he's he's tremendous you know like and and he you know he has a physical presence because he's just such a strong man that that McDavid doesn't so you know they complement each other so well because it's McDavid skating that you know that takes the zone on on the power play the you know uh, I mean he just he 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 gets them established but but Drysidel is you know it's hard it's hard to move him off the puck like he's just He's just, you know, like an old school Phil Esposito type that can skate, you know, twice as fast as as Phil ever ever did. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I so what I would tell you is uh, you know, I I had McDavid and Dreisidel in my top three. And I think the Hart Trophy finalists come out next week. I suspect that Dreisidel isn't going to be in the top three. Everyone is competing for second place anyway, so it's just an, an intellectual exercise. But but I I was convinced because you know we watch Edmonton a lot that yeah. That independent of what Connor McDavid did for that team, the things that Leon Draisaitl brought to the Edmonton Oilers warranted a top three placing in the Most Valuable Player award because I think he was that valuable to the Oilers. And so, so I, uh, you know, uh, and if you know if people are interested in, in in the backstory, just Google my name and Leon Draisaitl's name because I did do one of those um, mm-hmm. oral oral histories of him d- d- all the way back to you know when he first came to. North American played in the, in the Western League and, and, and his evolution through the years through the eyes of the people that you know that he played for and, on all those teams uh, you know including you know Marco Sturm for the for the German national team and um, you know that that was I think 2019 it was quite a while ago but but a lot of the insights that were offered in that story are are still applicable today like he he's right. he's driven and talented and and well liked by his teammates like he's not great for media you know he's no he can sometimes be you know it's just like bo- a lot of boilerplate answers and uh you know I think he's just humoring the media because that's part of of, of the job but it's 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 his least favorite thing about being an True. NHL player but you talk to the players and yeah, uh, which is which is really what what matters mm-hmm. right I mean you know we're we're you know, extra, extraneous to the process of a team winning and a team coming together and creating chemistry and culture and whatever other buzzword you want to use. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people saying any very many bad things about Leon Dreisaitl. They, they want him on their side. And, you know, you watch the way he's played in these playoffs. I mean, if we, if we had to do the vote today, he would be the MVP of the playoffs. There's no question in my mind. We we did that. We, we did an exercise, uh, you know, that where I work right now, uh, you know, pick your, MVP of the playoffs so far, and I put Drysidle on top of my well, list over
1: Kachuk. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why we have these things—the the conversation starters. My well, little, my and, little... and
2: we we did it after the first round, so you know, like it was, you know, the yeah. two, two games yeah. that Kachuk has played uh, against the Leafs were not. You know, we weren't able to consider that. So, you know, two games no, no, in, no, no, no. Yeah. and you know, the, the answer might be different after round two. Like, if if you know, if Vegas beats. Uh, you know, Edmonton and, and Florida gets by Toronto, I'm pretty sure, you know, Kachuk will be the unanimous halfway consmite. There's no doubt in my mind that that would be the case then.
1: Um, my last one for you, then I'll let you go. And and it, there's a term in in football when a quarterback wins, but he's not a good quarterback. It's, he's a system quarterback. Trent mm-hmm. Dilfer wasn't a good quarterback, won a, a Super Bowl. But what is Laurent Bressois? Is he... <laughs> is he a story? Is he a placeholder? Is he, I mean, he's got some connection to Calgary because he was drafted by the Flames, right? Yeah. I I'm trying to figure out what Lord, he just beat his, the guy that he played behind.
2: What yeah. is he? Yeah. I, I, and I, again, it's a great question. I, I can't, I can't definitively give you the answer. I was watching that series very closely. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that he was vulnerable at different times, in, in the first round, I think um, you know the fact that uh, you know Winnipeg was having its own issues meant that they weren't able to exploit the opportunities that yeah. um, that that they had. I also think that the Vegas's defense is you know comparable to uh, Carolina's in that. You know when you have everybody healthy. When you've got Petrangelo there, when you've got Alec Martinez there, when you've got Shea Theodore there. Um, you know they. You know they, they block shots. They. You know they clear pucks. You know they're 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 a, a really good collection. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, if you have a defense of that caliber playing in front of you. The, you're you're now one of those goaltenders that just has to you know like make the make the the, the saves that you need to make, and you don't necessarily have to flash the leather or or, or steal a game yeah. because you you know you've made five or or, or six ten ten dollar saves. So so I don't know the answer, and and I don't know you know again we always use the Cinderella analogy you know like it, it's eleven fifty nine. Well you know will he turn into a pumpkin soon? But uh, but you're right. So far, so good, and uh, and I think that you know the caliber of that Vegas team playing in front of them suggests that you know that it might be good enough for this round. And if it's good enough for this round, then it's good enough for the rest of the play. Absolutely, you're not going to see um, you know McDavid and Drysaddle in rounds oh. three and, and and four. So if you can find a way, then you're right. It, you know maybe we'll have the answer on June the whatever when they hand the, the Stanley Cup uh, out to, to what he actually is. Um, but I thought he was, you know, the, the interview he did in the first round that I saw on television, you know, where it was like, I'm not, I wasn't even sure if I was back in the NHL this year, he had 11 games in the NHL in the regular season. So, and if he's, yep. if, 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 if there, if every goaltender that's there right now is healthy, he's probably sitting on the bench or maybe even sitting beside you in the press box, Rob. So <laughs> no well i mean
1: that's absolutely right like it could be laner's team it could be thompson's team it could be you know uh um, the kid from uh hayden <laughs> team. there you go like yeah. it's yeah. but that's yeah. that's why we love it right that's why we love it because we get these well, stories
2: what what's going to happen when it's seattle vegas carolina and florida in the final four
1: um <laughs> it's it's going to force a lot of people who lament about non-traditional hockey markets. That'll never work to me, Vegas. I, I, I love the Vegas story so much because all I heard was it'll never work. It will never work. It'll never work. And it has worked better than any. Right. But I would counter with, you know, had Edmonton and or if Edmonton and Toronto end up in the final yeah, that some board of governor will try to put in a new rule that just to protect ourselves on television, no two Canadian teams can meet in the final. Uh he, he, I I just want good hockey and I still I could get very good hockey out of what what you said. Like though out of those teams, you could get some compelling hockey. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. right. But it, uh, it always comes down to storylines, though, right? And I think 100%. the powers that be that you're referencing at the NHL want compelling storylines. So mm-hmm. there will be far fewer compelling storylines if, if we have a Final Four that I outlined. I, I, I do think that that this notion that two Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup final will be bad for television ratings, that might be true. But Toronto and Edmonton is McDavid versus Matthews. And yep. if you can't sell yep. McDavid versus Matthews, then there's something wrong with your market. For. well and and i don't care whole, that they're playing for two canadian teams
1: and, and you will back me up on this that whole argument is flawed anyway because we got yeah. the rangers and the la kings and it was not great shakes it didn't set records you got new york and los angeles i mean it didn't set any records right yeah so
2: yeah
1: all right sir try to stay warm in california and uh we will connect with you in a couple of weeks
2: all right sounds good thanks rob
1: okay thanks eric Eric Dachuk from The Athletic joining us, courtesy of our friends at the Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com, 76 years in Calgary. Three locations, McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue Southwest, just off the of 14th Street and Bowridge Road Northwest. Uh, final mile today, um, just a couple of things. Uh, tip of the hat to Eric Aweeb, uh, Olympic gold medalist. Uh, had a little bit of a soiree last night Is uh, you know, she deserves it and, I, and I, I think is moving on to a different part of her life now, but uh, a great Canadian, a great ambassador for sport, and just an outstanding person who's made Calgary better. Um, congratulations to the Kindred Foundation. I was uh, fortunate enough to host their gala last night, and the, uh, pardon me, Kindred and the Up Foundation, their gala. Um, and they raised over $400,000 uh, for some great charity, for, It helps young families, it helps young parents, and it's a really important program that we need. It's another social safety net that isn't provided by the government, so needs to fundraise. And they did an amazing job last night. And one last time, I just want to thank everybody out here at Siksika Health for hosting us. Uh, As mentioned off the top, full disclosure, uh, doing some work for the Calgary Surge on the community side, do some work for the First Nations Health Consortium on their communication side. But we were out here today with the surge and uh, is the relaunch of the 36th annual Blackfoot Invitational Basketball Tournament. Um, and we were able to be here on a special day. So thanks to Leanna, uh, Leanna Slay for joining us and, and and bringing us up to speed on the meeting of today, Red, uh, Red Dress Day, um, May 5th. And uh, again, that intersection of sport, mental health, and society. Have a great weekend, everybody. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks to our outstanding producer today, Mark Prince, who, who did a great job Uh, I'm Rob Curry. You know who you are. We'll see you
0: soon.